Welcome to a history of the Space Race podcast. Episode 55, Golden Jubilee of the October Revolution. In the aftermath of the Soyuz 1 accident in April 1967, the number one objective for the Soviet space program was to launch a crewed circumlunar mission before the end of 1967. Vasily Mission and others in the Soviet space industry desperately wanted the circumlunar mission to occur in 1967 to celebrate the 50th anniversary, or the Golden Jubilee, of the Soviet Revolution. I have mentioned this goal before, but it bears repeating for emphasis, because it was really, really important. Hence the devotion of an entire episode title to this fact. The circumlunar flight was to mark progress in the grand march of communism through history. How only 50 years after the proletariat revolution and the seizure of the means of production for the people, the revolution reached the moon. The circumlunar mission was so important that it was even given precedence over the effort to land cosmonauts on the moon. The Soviet media also repeatedly hinted at the possibility of an upcoming circumlunar mission, even in the aftermath of the Soyuz 1 accident. Completing a crewed circumlunar flight in 1967, however, was increasingly unrealistic after Soyuz 1. The spacecraft that the Soviets planned to use for the circumlunar flight was the Soyuz 7KL-1. In other words, a variant of the basic Soyuz 7KOK designed for Earth orbital missions. But the Soyuz 1 accident showed that the Soviets still had not cleared the basic Soyuz spacecraft for manned flight. By June 1967, the state commission overseeing crewed Soviet missions decided to change priorities for the qualification of the Soyuz spacecraft. The state commission decided to temporarily abandon a docking mission in Earth orbit using the Soyuz 7K-OK. That is, the mission that Soyuz 1 was supposed to perform with Soyuz 2, although Soyuz 2 never launched given the problems with Soyuz 1. The state commission instead decided that the nation should focus all resources on performing a circumlunar flight that year in 1967. Clearing the Soyuz 7KL-1 for crewed missions, however, was going to be difficult to say the least. Initially, the plan was to perform four uncrewed missions with the L-1 spacecraft before launching a crewed mission. Two of these uncrewed missions were launched about a month before the Soyuz 1 accident. 
I described these missions a couple episodes ago when I described the efforts to man rate the Soyuz 7K OK. To recap briefly, the first uncrewed L1 launch occurred on March 10, 1967. The Soviets designated this spacecraft Cosmos 146 after it reached orbit. This test launch was a success, with the Block D stage of the UR-500 rocket launching Cosmos 146 into an orbit high enough to show that it could have performed a translunar injection maneuver. The second uncrewed L-1 launch occurred on April 8, 1967, just two weeks before Soyuz 1. The Soviets designated this second L-1 spacecraft Cosmos 154 after it entered orbit. This test mission failed, however, when the Block D stage failed to reignite after sitting in orbit for 24 hours. After the Soyuz 1 accident, the State Commission decided that mission should perform six uncrewed L-1 missions before allowing the first crewed L-1 spacecraft. Essentially, the Soyuz 1 accident wiped out any confidence that might have existed about the Soyuz spacecraft generally. Mission would have to start over again and launch four more uncrewed L-1 spacecraft. This requirement put the effort to launch a crewed mission before the end of the year on a very tight timeline. Realistically, the Soviets could probably expect to launch one L-1 spacecraft a month at best given production schedules, checkout procedures, and turnaround time on the launch pads. With the State Commission deciding only in June 1967 that four more uncrewed L-1 missions still had to be launched, this meant that the flight testing would not be complete until October 1967 at best. That left only November or December for a crewed circumlunar flight. Within a month of the State Commission's decision, it was already quite apparent that a crewed mission would not happen before the end of the year. The next fully equipped L-1 spacecraft for the next mission arrived in Tuyuratam only in July 1967. The delivery of this L-1 spacecraft had already been rushed. For example, the delivery was so hurried that this spacecraft did not have the upgraded parachute system developed after the Soyuz-1 accident. Even though the L-1 spacecraft was delivered in July 1967, that did not mean it could be launched in July 1967. The technicians on the ground needed to perform pre-flight testing before it could be mated to a UR-500 launch vehicle for launch. This pre-flight testing process always took several weeks 
at least. The state commission met again in an effort to reset the timeline for the circumlunar mission. The commission and the Soviet space industry was now starting to panic, because in addition to the timeline for the circumlunar mission slipping, media in the United States was starting to report that NASA was about to launch Apollo 4 the first test launch of a Saturn V rocket. So something needed to be done to get the Soviet circumlunar mission back on track. By early September 1967, the State Commission decided to set the date for the first of the four remaining uncrewed L-1 missions for late September. During that same meeting, the commission took a poll from various chief designers on the probability of success. Many of the designers reported a 99% chance of success. Chief designer Vasily Mission, however, said he only thought there was about a 60% chance of success. This underlined the low level of confidence in quality control measures in the Soviet space industry. On September 28, 1967, the Soviets launched the first uncrewed L-1 circumlunar spacecraft since the Soyuz-1 accident five months earlier. This launch turned out to be one of the most disastrous launches in the Soviet space program. The L-1 spacecraft was to be carried into orbit on one of Vladimir Chelemy's UR-500 rockets, also known as the Proton rocket. The first stage of the UR-500 fired to lift the spacecraft up. But shortly after launch, one of the six engines in the rocket's first stage failed. Still, the rocket was able to keep going, but a minute later, the rocket started to diverge from the intended path. The deviation from the planned trajectory triggered the automated emergency rescue system. This meant that the rocket tower on top of the L-1 spacecraft pulled the L-1 away from the launch vehicle. The UR-500 then proceeded to descend where it crashed on the steps of Kazakhstan. The L-1 spacecraft, meanwhile, landed safely intact on top of a hill near the burning wreckage. The crash of the UR-500 into the ground was environmentally disastrous. Remember that Chelmy's rockets used unsymmetrical dimethylhydrazine, or UDMH. Because of the toxic nature of the fuel, it was also known as devil's venom. The fumes released by the fuel alone are enough to suffocate someone. As I mentioned back in episode 7, this was precisely what had happened way back in October 1960, when an R-16 rocket exploded on the launch pad, 
Those not killed in the immediate explosion died from the toxic fumes. And as I mentioned in episode 49, the toxic nature of UDMH was one reason why the Soviets disfavored Chelemy's proposal for the even larger UR-700 rocket. A commission reviewing the UR-700 had noted that the rocket could create an environmental disaster if it crashed. Well, the crash of the UR-500 rocket in this case confirmed those dangers. As a recovery team approached the crash site, they were unable to reach and retrieve the L-1 spacecraft. The clouds of UDMH fumes kept them away, while the surrounding area burned. Critically, this situation showed that if the L-1 spacecraft had been crewed, the crew probably would have been exposed to the fumes and their lives would have been in serious danger. It was a situation that seemed to confirm one of Sergei Korolev's strenuous arguments against the use of UDMH all those years ago in his debates with Valentin Glushko. A subsequent investigation into the crash determined that a rubber plug had fallen into one of the UR-500 engines, causing it to fail. The failed launch of the L-1 spacecraft on September 28, 1967, all but guaranteed that a crewed circumlunar flight would not happen in 1967. Despite this, the Soviet Union continued to vigorously train cosmonauts for a circumlunar flight, as if the nation was in denial. Starting from August 1967, 10 cosmonauts began practicing landing at sea. Landing at sea was something new for the Soviets. They had always planned to land on Earth inside Soviet territory. But the circumlunar mission profile provided for a landing in the Indian Ocean if the spacecraft was unable to make a guided landing, and the spacecraft instead had to go for a ballistic re-entry. The cosmonauts were even sent to Mogadishu in Somalia on 10-day trips so they could familiarize themselves with the southern constellations in the event of a landing in the Indian Ocean. The cosmonauts also practiced EVAs to transfer from one spacecraft into the Soyuz L-1 spacecraft in Earth orbit. As demonstrated by the failure of the UR-500 rocket in the most recent test, the UR-500 was not yet man-rated and there were concerns that the UR-500 might not be man-rated in time for the crewed L-1 circumlunar mission. So one of the backup mission profiles called for the launch of an uncrewed L-1 spacecraft into Earth orbit on a UR-500 rocket. Once the L-1 was in orbit, the cosmonauts would then be launched into orbit 
on a variant of the R-7 rocket, which, to make things confusing, was also known as a Soyuz rocket. Once in orbit, the cosmonauts would perform an EVA to make their way into the L-1 spacecraft for the circumlunar mission. The EVA training for this backup mission profile was intense. The cosmonauts had to train in simulated microgravity. The only way they could do this was by practicing transfer inside an aircraft flying parabolic trajectories. But as I've covered before, these sorts of flights did not offer that much time to actually practice in microgravity. As the 50th anniversary of the Soviet Revolution grew near, Vasily Mission was able to eke out one win for the Soviet space program. The success came from the parallel program to develop the Earth orbital Soyuz 7K OK. The priority was to man rate the L-1 spacecraft for a circumlunar mission, but the Soviet Union maintained a parallel effort to man rate the Earth orbital Soyuz as well. And in October 1967, Vasily mission was ready to launch the first unmanned qualification test flight of the Soyuz 7K OK since Soyuz 1. I will talk about this man rating effort for the Earth orbital Soyuz more in a future episode when I get into the revival of the Earth orbital Soyuz program. In short, however, the launch occurred on October 27, 1967. Once the Soyuz 7K OK reached orbit, it became known as Cosmos 186. Cosmos 186 worked according to plan. Unlike with Soyuz 1, the solar panels fully deployed, and the automated attitude control system was working. Mission then launched a second Soyuz 7K OK into orbit three days later, on October 30, 1967. This second spacecraft was known as Cosmos 187. Using radar and automated navigation, Cosmos 186 maneuvered towards Cosmos 187 and rendezvoused. This was the first rendezvous that the Soviet Union had ever performed. They then did one better when the two spacecraft docked. Cosmos 186 and Cosmos 187 therefore became the first fully automated docking in history. This accomplishment showed that the original plan to launch two crewed Earth orbital Soyuz in a rendezvous, docking, and crew transfer mission as originally envisioned for the Soyuz 1 and Soyuz 2 mission was possible. The success of the first uncrewed rendezvous and docking, however, was a poor substitute for the main goal of a crewed circumlunar flight. 
On November 7, 1967, the Soviet Union celebrated its Golden Jubilee. Numerous celebrations and parades were held across the country, but the celebrations passed without a crewed mission to space. Chief Designer Mission and the Soviet Space Industry had failed the task given to them by the Soviet government. As if to rub salt in the wounds, two days later, on November 9, 1967, NASA launched the very successful Apollo 4 mission. On November 22, 1967, however, there was one more attempt to join the celebration. Another L-1 spacecraft had been turned around to perform a second uncrewed test launch. Although the mission would not be crewed, if successful, it would at least show a mark of progress. But that was not to be. The launch failed and the L-1 spacecraft never reached orbit. The failure was once again due to the UR-500 rocket. This time, the rocket worked all the way to the second stage. But during the second stage, one of the four engines failed. Like the last launch, this eventually caused a sufficient enough deviation from the flight trajectory that the automated emergency escape system activated. The emergency rocket tower pulled the L-1 spacecraft away from the launch vehicle and the UR-500 rocket eventually crashed. This time, however, you could say that the results of the test were even worse, because even the L-1 spacecraft was destroyed. After being pulled away from the launch vehicle, the landing rockets for the L-1 spacecraft, for some reason, had prematurely fired while the spacecraft was still about four and a half kilometers in the sky. The result was that when it finally landed, the L-1 spacecraft landed hard. One couldn't help but be reminded of the crash landing of Soyuz 1 in light of this failure. So, 1967 passed without a Soviet circumlunar mission. The Soviets had failed to meet their self-imposed deadline. But that did not mean they were out of the race. The United States still hadn't sent anyone around the moon in a circumlunar or lunar orbital flight either. So now the Soviet Union aimed to perform the L-1 circumlunar mission sometime in 1968, always before the United States. But the Soviets knew that time was not on their side. The Apollo 4 mission had shown that the United States now had a reliable rocket that could reach the moon. So I'll talk more about that next time.